a video version of this podcast is available at AboundingJoy.com and also on our YouTube pages. Hey guys, thanks for joining me in this third Bible study now from the last part of Romans chapter 1. In the first two, the previous two posts, we looked at verses 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, and 22. So I want us to read that section again just to keep the context, keep it all together here, and then we'll pick it up today in verse 23. Romans chapter 1, verse 16, this is the word of God. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith or to faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And that's where we stopped last time. So he's talking about men who may be highly educated in our day in secular human education. I mean, men with PhDs and THDs and EDDs and MDs. You know what? I counted 83 different doctoral degrees. I'm not at all sure I counted them all but in a list on Wikipedia, 83. And I'm not saying this is bad. Doctors agrees are not bad, but, but Satan sure does love to use them to feed men's pride, doesn't he? Yeah, that's another story. But, but maybe these people are university professors. Maybe they're men who have very impressive vocabularies. Maybe they seem very sophisticated to us. Maybe they're very articulate when they speak. Maybe they seem highly polished. Maybe they're greatly esteemed. Maybe they're famous celebrities. Some of them have been elected to high office. <laughs> Some of them have accumulated billions of dollars of assets. These men think they are very wise. But guys, please get this clear. If they leave God out of the thinking they are not wise, God says they are fools. Their foolish hearts have been darkened. There's such an important warning for us here. We just need to be very careful, guys, that we're not too impressed or intimidated by the wrong things. There is absolutely no reason for us to be impressed or intimidated by fools. <laughs> really? You think? <laughs> Instead, maybe we should be astounded by the horrible darkness that causes them to actually think they're being wise when they're fools headed for ruin and destruction and the wrath of God. God makes that very clear. And as we saw back in verse 18, in their unrighteousness, 
in their embrace of sin and rebellion against God, in their futile thinking, in their darkened minds, they do their very best to suppress the truth. They don't want to hear the truth. They don't want to see the truth. They don't want you to see the truth or hear the truth either. They do their very best to cover it up. Now let's look at verse 23. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds and animals and creeping things. You hear what he said there? The true God is immortal. What's that mean? Well, certainly he's indestructible. <laughs> he's incorruptible. He's eternal. He lives forever. He is the great I am. He's the self-existing one. He's immortal. Everything else that exists, everything gets its existence from him. He's the only thing in the universe that deserves total worship, total praise, all the glory, all the time. He is the immortal God. Now, listen, guys, none of us are really able to give the immortal God all the glory that he deserves or even all the glory that we would like to give him. We always fall short. I think we may come closest when we immerse ourselves in praise and worship to him. Often that means singing great songs of praise and songs of high worship. He also gives us lots of scripture that we can use to give him praise and worship in the Psalms and Isaiah and Revelation and other places, of course. But speaking of worship, let me just encourage you to practice being aware of when too much of our singing, some of our singing is not real worship, you understand that. Some of it is sort of worship with a mixture. But if too much of our singing focuses mainly on us, that ought to be a little bit of a red flag, don't you think? Don't misunderstand me here. I don't want to go too far and get unbalanced here. There's certainly a time for singing songs that are all about how much God loves us and how much he thinks about us, I guess. <laughs> but we need to be reminding ourselves, wait a minute, wait a minute, Steve. This isn't all about me. It's, it's, it's not about how much God thinks of me. It's not all about what God's done and can do for me. Not really. Of course, I'm thankful for what God's done for us. I, you know, We all need to be thankful. We need to give him thanks. But ultimately, we need to remind ourselves it isn't all about me. It's all about him. So I need to be sure that I sing a lot of what I call high praise to him that leaves me out <laughs> for a little while just to acknowledge his greatness and acknowledge his majesty and give him honor and give him praise and give him the glory the best we can. <laughs> we won't do it perfectly, but we can try. But while we're talking about worship here, let me just remind you of something else. Even when we're engaged in high worship, we are still in a spiritual war. Now, I think worship is a great way to fight the war. You know, Satan is allergic to that stuff. He really doesn't like us to hear us worshiping the true God. So he'll try to keep us from it. And he'll battle us even while we're trying to worship. What he tries to do is make us self-conscious. Maybe about our voices. Maybe about our appearance. Maybe what other people are thinking about our worship. What are people going to think if, if I raise my hands to the Lord? What are people going to think if I sing too loudly? <laughs> or what are people going to think if I hit the wrong notes? Oh, no. <laughs> or what are people going to think if my voice cracks? 
Listen, guys, we need to frequently be praying and asking God, please help me to forget those kind of things and just to concentrate on you and really worship you in spirit and in truth and give you as much glory as I possibly can in this frail body of mine. <laughs> guys, we, we just need to try to get away. We, we don't need to just try to praise him politely. You see what I'm saying? Sometimes we feel like, well, I got to be respectable here in the way I praise the Lord. Be careful with that. Be careful with that. We need to forget about ourselves. We need to praise him with loud praises sometimes. We need to praise him with gusto sometimes. The immortal God deserves the most enthusiastic praise we can muster in these little bodies of ours. <laughs> you see what I'm trying to say? Worship is not just a nice little part of our spiritual life. It's not a nice, nice little part we do to make ourselves feel better. It's not just a nice little thing we do to hopefully please the Lord on Sunday mornings. <laughs> Our immortal God deserves total worship, putting everything we can into worship and praise. In the context of this verse, verse 23 here, when he says the glory, you notice the word glory, the glory of the immortal God, he's using the word glory to point to God's magnificence, his splendor, his brightness, his excellence, his, his preeminence, his majesty, his perfection, his awesomeness. This is the glory of God. But here's the amazing thing. Very amazingly and very foolishly, men don't want this glorious, immortal God to interfere in their lives. So they choose instead to worship something else. Images. In that day, it was common for men to make images of all kinds of creatures. Some of them did resemble men in a weird kind of way sometimes. Some of them resembled animals, again, in a weird kind of way sometimes. Some of them were tiny little things. They could carry them in a pocket today, you know, just small little idols. Some were so big they had them as an item of furniture in their house that they rarely moved. Some of them were such huge statues that were placed in these huge, glorious, quote-unquote, pagan temples. You know, they, they looked pretty magnificent to the human eye. But listen, all of them were puny. All of them were powerless. All of them were totally insignificant in the light of the glory of, of the immortal God. Why on earth would you exchange the glory of the immortal God for images? <laughs> Today, the images we worship are often here in our minds instead of making something out of wood or metal or gold or something like that. It's an image we have up here. And listen, guys, watch out. For some people, it's an image that resembles the true Jesus. They may call that image Jesus, but it's an imaginary Jesus. We've talked about this before. But it's an image that's sort of like the true Jesus of the Bible. It's just a caricature, though. And they hold this caricature of Jesus in their minds. It's a fake Jesus. And the fake Jesus may agree with them about their sin, for example. I think sin's not really such a big deal. Fake Jesus, not the real Jesus. It's an image. Some people will claim that they don't worship any God at all. But they're really lying to themselves. Because something in their life is most important to them. And, and that's what they're worshiping. Today, we're living in a time when many men try to make gods out of themselves. They think they can just decide for themselves what they want to be true. Now, they can't, but they try. They think they can decide for themselves what their ethical or moral code should be. They think they can declare something to be right and something to be good just because they have a deep desire to do it. Even if God says, no, it's not right, and no, it's not good, it's sin. 
But you know what God also says? He says, be sure your sins will find you out. Even if we insist it isn't sin. Oh, yes, that's in Numbers 32. It will find us out. <laughs> because the one who defines sin is not me or you or anybody else. It's the glorious, immortal God. He defines sin. He defines righteousness. He tells us what leads to destruction. He tells us what leads to life. The glorious, immortal God is the God of truth. He tells us the truth. We don't need to be deceived. Whatever a man sows, that will he reap. God's not mocked. He makes that very clear. Paul wrote that to the Galatians. People today will frequently try to excuse their sin by claiming that the sin is part of their identity. Now, you're hearing that a lot today. What they will try to claim is that their sin is, is as much a part of who they are as their skin color is or their height or their eye color. It's just part of who they are. And so they claim that if we call their behavior sinful, like God does, we're just saying what God says, well, that's the same as saying a person needs to repent of having blue eyes or a person needs to repent of having dark skin or fair skin or, or a person needs to repent of being too tall or too short. You see what I'm saying? That's what they want to make themselves believe. But listen, guys, it's a terrible mistake. The Bible teaches that we are all born in sin. All of us are descendants of Adam. We've all sinned. We all have sinful tendencies. Your tendencies and my tendencies may be slightly different, maybe depending on our genetic makeup. I don't know, maybe depending on our ancestors. But we all tend in one way or another to be incredibly self-centered. Most of us can realize that if we'll just be honest with ourselves. But some of us have a tendency that may be so strong, I guess maybe all of us, it just seems to be a part of who we are. You know, it's just a strong temptation to sin. And so we want to just excuse ourselves and say, well, that's just the way I am. In our day, it's very, very common for people to have a tendency to desire to have sex with women who are not their wives. You could say, that's just who I am. It's just the way I'm wired. Maybe it's a tendency to lose our temper, go into a rage when things don't go the way we want them to go. Maybe it's a tendency to tell lies, to make ourselves look good, or to get out of an embarrassing situation we've gotten ourselves into. Maybe it's a tendency to take something that doesn't belong to me. Maybe I take credit that belongs to somebody else or take credit that belongs to God. Maybe it's a tendency to gossip. You know, some people, and this is getting more and more common, and you're going to see this more and more justified too in the near future. People have an inner tendency. Some people do. To, they're tempted to have sex with kids. That's being fed by the pornography industry in some places. Some people have inner tendencies to hurt other people. I can go on and on and on. And all of us have this tendency to want to excuse those, those things, whatever our weakness is. But every one of us, every one of us, you and I, we all have weaknesses. We all have areas where we're tempted to sin. We're not pointing our finger at certain people. We're all in the same boat. The sin problem may be different. But whatever it is, our tendency is to say, yeah, well, you see, that's just the way I am. That's just the way I'm wired. It's just part of who I am. It's my nature. I can't do anything about it. Don't try that with God. God won't have any of that talk. He does agree it's part of the way we are. We're sinful. 
But he calls it what it is. He doesn't call it good. He calls it sin. And he can give us grace to repent of it. And he can give us grace to have victory over it. But what we often choose, men in general tend to choose this until they realize who God is and what he's done and who Jesus is. We choose to excuse it. We choose to rationalize it. We claim that it's just who we are and we refuse to repent. If we choose that route, what we're doing is adding sin to more sin. We're just piling it up. But isn't it amazing? God tells us here in verse 23 that some men are so determined to keep him out of their lives that they exchange the ultimate, immortal, glorious majesty for silliness. That's what they're doing. Silliness. And when God calls them fools, he definitely chose the right word, didn't he? <laughs> We'd have to say amen. He chose the right word. People who reject God for cheap imitations and images, copies of things that he's made, they're fools. Now, I want to underline something I already said. I'm going to repeat it again. Some people try to claim they don't have a God. That's just not true. Every human being has something that is of ultimate importance to him or her. It might be a job. It might be an education. It might be the government. For some people, they look to the government as a God. Some people look to the money they have or money they want as a God. Some people, it's a family member. It could be a son. could be a daughter, a mother, a father, maybe a spouse sometimes. Sometimes it gets to just trivial as just things like, like a truck or a home or a motorcycle or something like that. But today, most of the time, I've already said it, I'm saying it again, in our day, our educational system has been pretty efficient, along with some satanic help, I think, at trying to convince people just to be their own God. They decide for themselves what's right. They decide for themselves what's wrong. They decide for themselves what's good. They decide for themselves what's bad. It won't work. Again, don't misunderstand me. Let me make sure I'm balanced here. Jobs, whatever your job is, family members, money, even the governments can be, trucks and motorcycles, all these things can be blessings. And they can be great tools and they can be great resources for serving the true God, the creator God. All these things can be blessings. But what God intends to be blessings, make great blessings, but they make lousy gods. They make lousy gods. In the day we're living in today, many people who reject the glorious, immortal, true God are doing it because they don't like what God says about sex. God is the one who created us with sex drives. Sex is his idea. He tells us very clearly in his word how sex is to be controlled. It's a powerful drive, of course. How it can be controlled, how it can be a blessing. He also warns us in his word how it can be used as a powerful engine for sin. Sex, God tells us very clearly, is to be between one man and one woman who are in a covenant relationship. We call it marriage, period. That's it. But many, many people in our day don't like that. It's too confining as far as they're concerned. They have desires. And those desires are being fanned and flamed and fueled in our society. And it's immersed in and driven by all kinds of sexual passion 
all kinds of pornography, every imaginable sexual temptation. Our society is flooded with it. We're glutted with it. And it's utterly sinful, guys. God has the remedy for it. And it is not to say, well, that's just who I am. No, it's not just who you are. God's remedy is turning to him for grace as we repent of our sin and we say, Lord, if you say it's sin, I agree with you. It's sin. God's very clear about repentance. Now, let's look at verse 24. Because men have exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things, therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. The Greek word here for gave them up as paradidomi. It's a very common word in the New Testament. It's used over a hundred times in the New Testament. And normally it's used in the context of turning someone over to being a captive or turning someone over to the control of some authority. It's used to refer to someone who's being handed over to a judge, for example, or maybe handed over to the courts. It's used to refer to what Judas did to Jesus when Judas betrayed Jesus. Jesus warned his followers they would be handed over to civil courts to be punished. It's also the word used to describe what happened to John the Baptist when he was arrested. Well, Paul uses it three times here, this passage we're looking at. Right here in this verse and in verse, also in verse 26 and verse 28, God gave them up. God handed them over. The word translated lust here is epithumia. It refers to a strong, very intense desire, cravings, passions. And almost always in the Bible, not always, but almost always, it refers to evil desires as it does here. So it's usually translated lusts very commonly translated lust, sometimes coveting, sometimes passions. It's the word Jude used, by the way, when he wrote, in the last time there'll be scoffers following their own ungodly passions or lusts. It's the same word Peter used when he wrote this, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions, there it is again, passions or lusts of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. In the Bible, God warns us many, many times of the dangers of these ungodly desires. We are not just to give in to them. We're not just to say, well, this is just who I am, even though they're strong. So in their passions and their ungodly desires in their hearts, these men had decided to pretend that God didn't even exist. They just decided for themselves what was right and wrong. And so God gave them up. He gave them up to bondage, to impurity. The word for impurity here is ekatharsia. Sometimes it's translated uncleanness. In the New Testament, it's frequently, almost always associated with immorality and sensuality. Here in verse 24, God's going to add to these words here and explain what he's talking about in the last part of the verse, where he says, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. To dishonor means to treat shamefully, to treat with contempt. And among themselves simply means with each other. 
They treat each other's bodies with contempt in a shameful manner, he says. Now, some of you might be saying, Steve, would you, would you go into a little more detail here? Would you be more specific? What kinds of things are they doing with each other's bodies? And the answer is no, I'm not going to do that. You know what Paul said to the Ephesians in his letter to the Ephesians? He said it's shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. It's disgusting. God says it's shameful. It's dishonoring. And it's shameful even to talk about it, he said. Now, why did God give them up to this kind of behavior? Well, he explains it more in verse 25. Verse 25, he says, because, and he's underlining something he's already said, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So God is underlining here what he's already said. That's how God emphasizes things in his word sometimes. He will underline things by repeating them. So just like anyone who's ever lived, if they want to see the truth about God, they can. God's made that clear. God's made it known to them. Verse 18, he says, they suppress the truth about God by their unrighteousness. Here he says, they exchange the truth about God for a lie. Verse 23, he said they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images, resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Here in verse 25, he says they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. For most of us, the word creature probably makes us think of some kind of animal. Does it use? It makes me think of animals. Like, but, but, but in the Greek, it can refer to anything that was created. So they worship things God has made instead of worshiping the God who made those things. It's really foolish. They didn't want God. They preferred a lie. So they pretended that God didn't exist and naturally fell into the worship of God's creation. A verse like this one brings to mind many people of our day who choose to be pantheists. They worship the earth, extreme environmentalists sometimes. People who worship, they, they sometimes call the earth Mother Earth. Have you heard that? Sometimes they call her Gaia. There are people who worship the rainforest, people who worship wilderness areas in America. They convince themselves that their life comes from Mother Earth, not from the true God. They didn't want God. They didn't want God's ways. So God essentially said, you don't want me? Okay, have it your way. God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity and to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. God never forces anyone to love him. You can't force love. That wouldn't be love. But there are always consequences of the decision to reject him. God clearly warns people of the consequences. But if they say, no, I'm going to do it my way, he lets them. He gives them up. Notice also here, he did not say that they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, period. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. <laughs> the word blessed, close synonym of the word praised, maybe celebrated would work here, honored, magnified. So they may choose to bless or praise or celebrate or magnify some kind of sin. They may praise or magnify the lie that they've chosen 
that praise will come to a terrible end. But true praise of the true God is going to go on forever and ever and ever. How foolish it is to despise the praise of the Creator and embrace praise of what He's created, especially when men are using what He created in a sinful, selfish, rebellious manner or as a replacement for God Himself. The praise goes to God. Let me see if I can sum this up just a little bit here. We're all tempted to sin, guys. I want to keep emphasizing the word all there. All of us struggle with temptation. We're all in a battle. We're all born with a nature that's drawn to sin, and some sins more than others. But we have a choice to make. We can agree with God about it and repent of the sin and worship Him, or we can embrace that sin and wallow in it, claiming it's who we are. But if we choose to embrace the sin and worship the creation, God will say, okay, have at it. He will give us up to it. He lets us have our way. But the outcome is horrific. And if we choose to agree with God and call sin, sin, and choose to worship and praise the great creator instead of the things that he's made for our joy, and his joy too, by the way, We'll have the thrill of praising and blessing and honoring Him, not just in this life, <laughs> throughout eternity, guys. It's pretty awesome what he's, what he's done for us. So I just want to challenge you today. Reject the lie. Don't be deceived. Cling to the truth. Worship the true God. And live throughout eternity with me and millions of other followers of Jesus with great joy. No regrets. Well, Paul's not done here, and we're not either, but we're going to stop for now right here, and we'll pick it up here next time. Let's pray. Father, thank you for being an awesome creator, the immortal God. You certainly deserve all glory, blessing, and honor, and praise, and thanksgiving, worship forever and ever and ever, Lord. You have shown us the meaning of love. You've shown us the meaning of true power. You've shown us the meaning of grace and mercy holiness and righteousness. Oh, Father, it's just amazing to us when we look around us and see so many of the people you created trying to shut you out of their lives, trying to pretend you're not there, refusing to worship you, getting wrapped up in the things that have been made, Lord, worshiping the wrong stuff and calling sin righteousness. Father, we know they are so confused and they're walking in darkness. They've chosen darkness and you've given them over to it. And it breaks our hearts, and we'd love to see some of them come out of it. We'd love to see the blindness removed. We'd love to see people come to repentance, come to know Jesus, come to know true joy. Father, we know ultimately we can be instruments in your hands to bring that to pass, but we can't cause it to happen. You have to work in people's hearts. But, Lord, the best we know how, we offer ourselves to you. We want to be good worshipers, for one thing, Lord. We want to give you great honor and glory that leads right on into eternity. We want to learn to worship you so well, Lord, that we can forget about the people around us and concentrate on you and just worship you in spirit and in truth. Please teach us how to do that. And then, Lord, we want to be instruments in your hands to speak the truth to a hostile, dark world. We want to shine as lights, Lord. So please fill us with your spirit and let the light shine through us and get yourself more glory than ever. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.